For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. Putting others ahead of yourself is a rare and radical concept in today's world. Thankfully, God doesn't leave you to learn humility on your own. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to this important character quality with biblical insights for allowing God to work in and through you. From A Life Beyond Amazing, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, A Life of Humility. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a part of our Bible study every day and for this series, which is based on the fruit of the Spirit. We've been talking about a life beyond amazing, going through the Bible and examining how we can develop these qualities uh, on the basis of the Holy Spirit's infusion into our lives. And the Spirit of God enables us to live in a way that we can never live. This is not something we do on our own. This is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And here's how we examine our lives. Are we living a life of peace, a life of joy, a life of endurance, a life of compassion? Is our life full of integrity? Are we people of humility? These are questions we need to ask, and the answers to them can be life-changing. And uh, so that's what we've been up to. We have uh, today the opportunity to finish up what we started yesterday in part two of A Life of Humility. So let's get started with that. We'll have some more things to share with you at the end of this teaching time. But the teaching begins right now. In his book, Life-Changing Love, John Ortberg told the story. He said, not long ago, there was a CEO of a Fortune 500 company who pulled into a service station to get gas. He went inside to pay, and when he came out, he noticed his wife was talking in a deep discussion with the service station attendant. Turned out that she knew him. In fact, back in high school, before she met her eventual husband, she used to date this guy. The CEO got in the car, and the two drove in silence, and he was feeling pretty good about himself. Here he was, the CEO of a major company, and here he was, an attendant at a service station. Finally, he spoke. Honey, I bet I know what you were thinking. I bet you were thinking, you're glad you married me. Fortune 500 CEO and not him, a service station attendant. No, she said, I was thinking if I'd married him, he'd been a Fortune 500 CEO and you'd be a service station attendant. (laughs) If you have a good wife, she'll make sure you don't get proud. I promise you. That really stings. That is a stinger if I ever heard one. But if we're honest with ourselves about our own importance, that's a vital step, isn't it? The path to the amazing life of humility begins in the mind. It starts when we can honestly admit we have a problem with pride. The apostle Paul wrote, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, 
not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That's a great word. He went on to expose in that section of the book of Romans how Christians in Rome actually were using their spiritual gifts as fodder for their own pride. How they were talking about how they had better gifts than others. And in the church, where spiritual gifts are always for others, the members of the church were allowing their assignment of a great spiritual gift to puff them up into something they could never, ever, ever make right. In our own lives, how can we take a similar step and not face the same result? In our own lives, how do we protect ourselves from the growing cancer of pride that wants to take us all down? Well, I think you gotta have some people around you like the wife of the CEO. Some people who are saying, you're getting a little haughty there, son. (laughs) You better slow down. Recognize your pride. All of us are prideful, every one of us. It's the original sin. The Bible says, these six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud heart's the first one, and pride shows up three more times on that list in one way or the other. God hates pride. Pride is the sin that destroyed heaven When Lucifer said, I will be like the Most High God, pride threw him out of heaven and started the chaos that we have in this earth today because pride is the original sin. Pride is the thing that destroys. Don't let it even get started in your life. And if you have somebody that you trust, give them permission to tell you when it sticks its head up above ground so that you don't let it get a head start. Here's the second thing you can do to help yourself develop humility. Start serving. The single most powerful way to grow in humility is to quietly serve. The concept of serving is more than 300 times found in the Bible. And I remember Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. He did not come into this world to be served, but to be a servant. When we start serving, here's what happens. Listen to me. We take our eyes off of ourselves and we begin to see things through the eyes of another. Jesus said, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. As we learn in the opening story, Leaders who are great leaders understand this concept, and their illustration is very, very powerful. Because in the world, it's like this. If you're a leader, you're at the top, and everybody's serving you. It's like a triangle. In the world's concept, the failing concept of leadership, the leader ascends the triangle till he's at the pinnacle, and then he looks down and sees all the people that are serving him. But when you become a Christian and you understand God's model of servanthood, you turn the triangle upside down. And it's no longer about how many people are serving you. Now it's about how many people you are serving. True leadership is servant leadership. And when you serve others, there is no room for humility. 
If you serve this way and you're at the top of the list, you can see how pride could infect your life. But you follow the servant model of the New Testament, pride descends to the very bottom and you no longer are looking at all the people who are serving you. You're looking at all the people you get to serve. And there's no room for pride in that. That's why serving is such an important strategy to keep your pride at bay. 1984 until 1986, Peggy Noonan was the White House speechwriter for President Ronald Reagan, and she wrote a book called When Character Was King, and she tells this story. She says, a few days after President Reagan had been shot, when he was well enough to get out of bed, he wasn't feeling well, so he went into the bathroom that connected to his room. He slapped some water on his face, and some of the water slopped out of the sink. He got some paper towels, and he got down on the floor to clean it up. An aide went in to check on him and found the President of the United States on his hands and knees on the cold floor, mopping up water with paper towels. Mr. President, the aide said, what are you doing? Let the nurse clean that up. And he said, oh no, I made the mess. I'd hate for the nurse to have to clean it up. He was a great leader. We all respected him. As you read his life story, you find out more and more why. Once you develop a realistic view of your own importance, you start to realize that every other person on the earth is just as important as you are and just as deserving of love lived out in action. And that's why Paul wrote to the Philippians and said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. When you serve, you take a major step to keep yourself in equilibrium. Thirdly, not only recognize your pride, start serving, keep listening, and keep learning. The Bible warns us repeatedly against being wise in our own eyes. If you go to the book of Proverbs and read it through and underline every time you see that, it's in there many times, and it's in the Bible. It's kind of scattered out in the New Testament simply says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Why is that so important? It's so important because if you're wise in your own eyes, you'll never seek for wisdom anywhere else. If you're so full of your own wisdom, you'll never seek wisdom from anyone else. One of the things that really is a telling characteristic of people as they get older is this thing. Do they keep asking questions? When we stop asking questions, we become wise in our own eyes. When you are leading, if you're beyond the age of retirement and you quit seeking to learn how to do it better, you should quit. Because we always are students. The thing you know as you get older is how much you don't know. It's very humbling if you look at it that way. I've been spending all these years trying to learn what I know, and now all of a sudden I have this incredible overwhelming sense of what I don't know. I meet people all over the country who are not just bilingual. I don't know if there is such a word as quadlingual. They speak major languages. I always thought it would be cool to learn Spanish, but I'm not going to make it. <laughs> I might keep trying. 
Hasta la vista, baby. (laughs) But hear me when I say this, you guys. Don't ever stop learning. Don't ever stop asking questions. Because when you stop doing that, what you're saying to yourself is, I have everything I need. I know everything I need to know. There's nothing I can learn that will help me do what I do better. Pat Williams said in his book on humility that humble leaders are always learning. They don't assume they have all the answers. They're humbly curious. They're always reading. They listen to the ideas of people around them, including subordinates. They encourage fresh insights from people at all levels, from board members to janitors. And Catherine Graham, the longtime publisher of the Washington Post, was once asked what she considered to be the most important trait of the great leaders of the world that she had met during her tenure. She replied without hesitation, the greatest trait of all the world leaders I've met who are successful is this, the absence of arrogance. What a testimony. Number four, hang out with ordinary people. I don't have time to develop this, but Romans 12, 16 says, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Few kinds of pride are worse in the church than snobbery. Snobs are obsessed with questions of status, with the stratification of society into upper and lower classes, which division into distinctions of tribe and caste. They forget that Jesus fraternized freely and naturally with social rejects and calls his followers to do the same with equal freedom and naturalness. There's a story told by a young man who knew John Stott. This young man went to a conference once where John Stott was to be the preacher. He got there early, and it was in between sessions, and he went into the conference room, which was quite a large auditorium, and was sitting in the back. And nobody was there, and suddenly an older man came in, and the older man came over to him where he was and sat down and began to talk to him and talked to him for 20 to 30 minutes. And while he was doing this, another man came where they were. And when the other man came over to where they were, he introduced himself and said, Dr. Stott, it's good to see you. This young man had been sitting with John Stott for 20 minutes and he didn't know who he was. And you don't know John Stott, but if you're a preacher, you know John Stott. One of the greatest preachers in our generation, not just in Britain, but all over the world. But the young man never forgot that. And he said, the private John Stott, just like the public John Stott, caring, loving, concerning, without having to be known. He didn't walk up and say, hello, I'm John Stott. (laughs) He just walked up and began to talk with him. We live in a culture, men and women, that idolizes people who make it big. We're not interested in ordinary. We want extraordinary. We don't want to be lowly. We want to be exalted. So we have to make sure that we don't become socially conscious. No room for that in the church of Jesus Christ because we're all just members of the same body. Some get blessed with this and some get blessed with that, but we're all together, brothers and sisters. Hang out with ordinary people. 
Here's what I love. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Seems counterintuitive that humility should produce joy and pride should steal it, but it's the way it is. When you are always thinking about what others think of you, you will be hung up the rest of your life. You'll be able to only do what you feel approval to do. And we need to quit taking ourselves so seriously. I remember hearing a pastor I greatly respect saying that when he was younger in the ministry, he was always afraid of what people thought. But now that he's older, he doesn't even care. He said it in a little different way than that, but that's all right for me to say in church. <laughs> Several years ago, I was on a speaking assignment in the southern part of our country. And as I often do, I decided to visit the local Christian bookstore. I love doing that. They're disappearing, so I have to make headway here. There was nobody in the store that day except a young girl who was standing behind the checkout desk. I entered the store, and I could tell that she was kind of studying me. And in a moment, she came over to where I was, and she said, Are you who I think you are? And before I could answer, she said excitedly, please don't leave, I'll be right back. And she disappeared in the back room, and when she came back, she was accompanied by another girl, and she was carrying a stack of books. They walked up to me giggling and handed me the books and said, would you mind signing these books for us? And they handed me six books written by Josh McDowell. <laughs> I have to honestly tell you, I looked away so that she wouldn't see my smile. I saw Josh McDowell in the front of all six books. I thanked them, and I walked out of the store, and in my heart, I heard a voice saying, Jeremiah, you ain't no big deal. <laughs> When you can't laugh at yourself anymore, you need a tune-up when it comes to humility. <laughs> then spend time with children. I had a lot of stories I wanted to tell you about that, but we don't have time for them. I love how children process all this stuff, this humility stuff. I have a favorite story about a little boy who was out in the backyard one day, and he, he had a bat in one hand, he had a ball in the other, and he was throwing the ball up, and he was swinging at it, and he was doing his own commentary, his own radio commentary, and he was saying, I'm the greatest hitter in the whole world, and he'd throw the ball up, and he kept missing it. I'm the greatest hitter in the whole world. He'd throw the ball up, he'd miss it. Did that four times, and then he kind of paused, and then his mother heard him say, I'm the greatest pitcher in the whole world. <laughs> so, you know, he wasn't going to be less than great, no matter what he had to do. And we laugh at that. Kids teach us a lot, don't they? You know, in the mouths of children come the words that keep us from getting too caught up with ourselves. Finally, let me just suggest to you not to lose perspective. Long before Theodore Roosevelt became the 26th president of the United States, he was fascinated with the creation of God. And if you read the story of his life, written several places by some really good writers, 
you know that more than most of our presidents, Theodore Roosevelt loved the natural world. During his time in office, from 1901 to 1909, he established national parks, national monuments in order to preserve wild places that were still left after decades of expansion of industry and agriculture. It's said that one of Roosevelt's habits when he entertained guests at the White House was to take them to the back of the lawn when the day was over. He would gaze up into the sky and tell his guests to do the same. And after looking up at the innumerable stars scattered across the vast black nothingness of space for a couple of minutes, he would say, Gentlemen, I believe we are small enough now. Let's go to bed. After a long day's work filled with tough decisions and stressful situations, Theodore Roosevelt, a big personality if there ever was one, looked up at the stars in order to put his own importance into perspective. The enormity of the universe made him feel small, small enough to sleep well at night. He was the leader of a great nation, job that brought with it the burden of keeping millions of citizens under his charge safe, shepherding a store of natural resources few other countries even thought they could have. Who could sleep with all that pressure? Indeed, we can see from presidential photos just how quickly the office ages those who take the assignment. <laughs> the Bible tells us of another man who led a great nation and felt the responsibility keenly. His name was David, and he wrote his thoughts in the book of the Bible we call the Psalms. Here's what he wrote. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man? that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him. And then he puts it back into perspective in verse 5 when he writes, for you have made man just a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. The psalmist made the connection between God's power and glory and the glory that's been given to man the same God who keeps the planets in their orbits and tells the wind where to blow and causes the rain to fall and the sun to shine, that same God has crowned you and me with glory and honor. And you can trust that if he's powerful enough to create, sustain, and order the universe, he's powerful enough to sustain you. You do not have to make yourself bigger than you are. You do not carry the world on your shoulders. God carries it on his shoulders. He still has room to carry you as well. Let's face it, humility is one of the most difficult virtues to cultivate in our time and place. But as with all qualities worth pursuing, God does not leave us to self-improvement of our own power. He gives us power of his Holy Spirit to grow more and more into the people he intends us to be. When we choose to humble ourselves and we place ourselves in the stream of God's grace, he goes to work in our lives. And this grace is what we all need to flourish in life. As you continually make decisions to humble yourself, expect God to hear your desires and to guide you, to lift you up and revive your spirit. Humble yourselves under the sight of a mighty God, and he will lift you up. Micah the prophet said, He has shown you, O man, what is good. 
And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your Lord? Amen. 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 Well, that's a very challenging subject, is it not? And um, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God can create in us that quality, and He will do that if we'll trust Him to do it. Tomorrow, uh, we'll celebrate Thanksgiving together, and I have a very special announcement to make to you that uh, I think will be of encouragement to you as we move toward the holidays. And then uh, one more major lesson from this particular series on Friday and Monday, we're going to talk about a life of self-discipline and finish up the month with a very special message entitled, A God-Inspired Life. So be with us as we finish up November together. And don't forget, during the month of November, if you will send a gift to help us with what we do here uh, on radio across the nation and around the world, we will send you a copy of the book, Why the Nativity? 25 chapters answering questions you may have about the Christmas story, preparing you for this release that we're going to be sharing with you in just a few days. Thank you so much for being with us today. Be sure and ask for your copy of this book when you send your gift to Turning Point, and we'll see you right here next time on This Good Station. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If God is ministering to you through Turning Point, will you let us know? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Fill your Christmas with meaning and joy with your copies of David's book and new docudrama DVD, Why the Nativity. Each is available for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries and instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow for a special message, Thanksgiving is Supernatural, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. If you're looking to celebrate the holiday season in a meaningful way, consider revisiting the story of the first Christmas. In the newest edition of his book called Why the Nativity, Dr. David Jeremiah looks in close detail at the people and events surrounding that special day. The book and brand new docudrama are yours when you support Turning Point this month with a gift of $60 or more. If you give $100 or more, you'll also receive the correlating CD album and study guide. Donate today at davidjeremiah.ca. Many years ago, a young missionary went to China on an annual salary of $2,500. He was so effective that a company wanted to hire him to work for them. They offered to double, triple, even quadruple his salary. And each time, he said no. They finally said, 
Is the salary we're offering not big enough? Oh, the salary is plenty big, the young man said, but the job isn't. Regardless of how a Christian makes a living, no job could be as big or as important as the one Jesus has given his followers, taking the gospel to the whole world. And this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's job for you on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.